Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. We're in a series that we're calling um, Behind the Music Christmas Edition. And what we've done is we've looked at the different, like the history behind some of these famous Christmas songs that we sing. And not only do we look at the history behind the songs, um, but, but really more importantly, we also look at the message behind some of these, uh, these songs. And the song that we're looking at this morning is a song about a birth. And, uh, and if, I don't know if you've, been, if you've ever been part of a birth, um, but if you have, it's, it's one of those moments, right, where they, they just kind of, it's kind of frozen in time. Like there are little details that happen that maybe you wouldn't normally think about, but because of just the immensity of the moment, like you, you can't help but think about these maybe little quirky details. It made me think about the birth of my son, Jack. He's seven now. And I just remember just things about uh, the night he was born. I remember I went to the, we were, Julian's water broke and we were in the room waiting for Jack to, to be born. And I'm one of those people that if you tell me, hey, if you need anything, just let me know. Like, I'm, I take that as like, you're saying that and you mean it, not like just conversation. So the nurse, she's like, Joanna's like, you know, getting ready to have a baby. And I'm sitting in the chair lounging. And the nurse looks at me and she's like, hey, and, and, and Ryan, if, if, if there's anything I can do for you, just, just let me know. And I was like, you know, it's funny you say that. Um, today I had a paper cut on my finger. Could you go grab me a Band-Aid? And so she did. Like, she went and grabbed me a Band-Aid. And I was like, and it was like, it was late. Like, it was 11 o'clock. And I usually go to bed about 9. So I was like, you know, it's, and so she gives me a Band-Aid. She's like trying to walk out the room. And I was like, hey, while you're here, um, do you guys have any coffee? And she brings it to me. And I was like, hey, you know, it's probably not good coffee because made this at a hospital. Do you have any cream and sugar? And so she went and gave me that. Like, I was just, she was like my waitress that night. Like, it was really great. And, and so... And so, like, but she said, if you need anything, let me know. Well, if you tell me that, like, I'm going to take advantage of it. So, so, so I remember that, and then I remember when, when Jack was born, okay, and I remember um, he has a little bit of a larger head. And, and the, the doctor who was delivering him is Dr. Stamps. He's delivered thousands of babies in Springfield, Missouri. And he, Jack's born, and he's like, man, this kid's got a big head. And then I think he probably realized that was offensive. I don't know. And he's like, you know what big head means? Big brain, scholarships, and, and like Joanna hears that, like, and she starts like crying. She's like, he's already having a moment with my son, like it's his baby. He already thinks he's really. Jack's already made a friend, like it's one of those type of things. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this guy's delivered thousands of babies in Springfield. I bet he says that three times a week. <laughs> but for us, it was like a really important moment in Jack's birth story that we're like, the doctor thinks he's brilliant. And he is. And so, so that happened. And, and, and then, like, I had this internal conversation, like, this leading up to the moment where you cut the cord, the umbilical cord. And I was like, like, we pay a lot of money to do this in a hospital. Like, I feel like the doctor should do his job, and that's part of his job. And so I was like, you know what I'm going to do when he asks me to cut it? I'm going to say in a snarky tone, like, isn't that your job? And so, like, I was ready for it, like, because, of course, that would really make the moment more special for Joanna for me to fight with the doctor. And, and I was, like, and so I was, I was, like, ready for the moment. And, like, obviously, there's all kinds of emotion, the birth of your child. And I, I was, like, the doctor looks at me, and he's, like, so you ready to cut the cord? And I couldn't find the words. And so I was just, like, uh, no. 
And then he looks at me and he's like, super, what? He's like, no, you want to. And he gave me the scissors and I was like, can't tell him no. Um, I just, I remember, like, those are things. Like, they just kind of, like, stick in my, like, because it's a moment for me that's, like, frozen in time. And, and the song we're looking at this morning, what I like about it, is it, it takes the birth of Christ. And, which is the most important birth that has ever happened in the history of the world. And, and the song, it, it, it freezes it in time. It helps, like, the, the moment that is so special, it really does a great job of capturing how special that moment would have been when Christ was born. The song we're doing this morning is Oh Holy Night. And, and I know for a lot of people, even just talking through this series, a lot of people were like, man, I, that's my Christmas song. It's like someone else said, like, I just, I listen to Mariah Carey's, like, there, there's just, we, we love this song. And it, as beautiful as it is, and as much as I would say, like, it is such a Christian song. It's so interesting to me that if you look at the origin, it's very non-Christian, okay? So you've got, the story goes like this. So there was a, a Catholic priest, and he was getting ready for his Christmas services the, in the, the French town of like Rockmire or something like that. And, and he wanted to do something special for the Christmas service, and the mayor who was not really a believer, not really much of a church attender, but he was a poet. And so what the, the Catholic priest does is he goes to the mayor, and he's like, hey, would you write me just a poem that I could read during my Christmas services? The mayor, like I said, he's not much of a believer, so what he does is he gets a Bible, and he reads Luke chapter 2, and he, he pens this poem, and the, French, the title in the French is um, Cantique de Noel, or Hymn of Christmas, we call it a holy night, and he pens this this poem that is that they read and and, and people respond to it. And, and so this guy who who wrote this poem, he has this realization where he's like, man, this would be an incredible song. And so what he does, he calls his friend Adolphe Adams, who and he's like he's a composer, and he's like, hey, could you put music behind these words? Well, it's funny because Adolphe Adams, he's Jewish, and, and he doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he liked the, the poem, so he put it behind music. And then as the song is continuing to grow in French popularity, they're like, we've got to get this to America. And so they're like, we need to find someone who can translate this from, from French to English. And so they find a man whose name is John Sullivan Dwight. He is a Unitarian minister who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ, and he's the one who translates this song from the French into English. So you get to this point where it's like, okay, so if you get, if you get a priest, a Jewish person, a Unitarian, and a mayor, and they all walk into a bar, what do you get? <laughs> you get O Holy Night. Like, you, you end up with O Holy Night when that happens. So they come together, they create this incredible song that no one would argue is, I mean, obviously Christian, obviously beautiful. And if we go back to what it was based on, it was based on Luke chapter 2, and I'd like to read that to you this morning, and we'll start in verse 7. It says this, And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. 
and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so now as we look at this, this text and we consider this song, I want us to consider just two traits this morning. Two traits that are present in the text and two traits that are present in the psalm, the song that we should consider to carry with us all year, not just at Christmas. And the first trait is this, is the trait of humility. Do you see humility all over this story, all over the song? And part of what makes it so beautiful is how, when you consider even the text, how it starts with humility. I mean, and, and it's obvious, and we talk, when you think about it, you think about the manger, but, but you, see that it, you see it in verse 7 where it says, and, and then she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, when you think of, like, a mom thinking about their baby, like, there is a pride that comes with that that is borderline ridiculous, right? Like, I remember when, I mean, every, every mom thinks that their baby is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Like, especially when it's their first one. It's the second one, they, start, they, they don't think it is. But, but with the first one, especially. And, and so, so Mary had that. Like, Mary had all those thoughts that, that mothers feel when they think about their babies, like, that, would, that any mom would feel when they think about their child, Okay. But Mary also, if you look back one chapter in Luke chapter 1, she had a circumstance where an angel appeared to her and, and confirmed how great this baby was going to be. Look at this here in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, 31 and 32. angel speaking to Mary says, You will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. Call his name, his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So you've got all those natural maternal feelings that you feel where you think your baby is the best thing ever, and then you actually have an angel tell you that your baby's going to be great. So then you go back to that inn, okay? And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, you need to make room for this baby. 
He, he's going to be called like son of the most high. Like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't belong next to a goat, okay? But instead she, she allows this, him to be born in this way. I mean, and these are not titles that would be given to someone who would be a novice. Like, it's one thing to say that someone's going to be great. It's something completely different for an angel to say someone's going to be great. That, 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 that title there, Son of the Most High, that, that is a divine title that belongs to someone who is saying, I am deity. That an angel is telling her that this is, this is your son. And, but even for me, the one that I think that would be just if I was Mary, the one that I would find to be the most beautiful is that the throne of his father, David. You put yourself in the mind of a first century Jewish person. You think about David, King David. I mean, he, he's the, the ultimate king of Israel. That when they think about when things were good, it was when David was king. That in their mind, his kingdom was one that was the special, perfect, important kingdom. And you have an angel tell Mary, your son is going to take the mantle from David and help expand his throne. Jesus would have been aware of all these things to be true. All these things are true. They're all part of the story that God would have known. And it makes it so interesting to me that God would choose to have his son born in this way, given all of these things about who he is. And I think that the question for us, though, is, okay, why? Why does this matter? What is so important about the fact that that Jesus is all these things and he chose to be born the way that he was born. And, and you see it in the song. Like, look at this in, from, from O Holy Night. It says, The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness, he is no stranger. That the fact that Jesus was willing to be born in this way, it shows you he is willing to identify with you. Have you ever been in a circumstance where looking at your life, you're just confused? <laughs> Jesus, was, he was willing to identify with, with us. You ever have a feeling where, you, where maybe things didn't work according to your plan? Like that, that, that's how his, he was born. That we can know that because he was born in the way that he was, he sympathizes with us when we feel pain. He knows what it feels like to be hurt. That he was born, not just to be our God and our king, and though that is absolutely true, but he, he was also born to be our friend. 
You know, some of you, you come into this season and you just feel like, like you don't matter. Like you consider everything surrounding this and maybe just life has thrown you a hand that you're just, you feel like no one even understands what you're going through. You're just confused and frustrated and maybe like, just like you're not just, you're ready for this to be over. And I would just say the fact that he was willing to be born in the way that he was, it shows that he identifies with you that he knows what you're going through. That he, and, and because he was willing to be born in that way, that shows us that, that tricky circumstances don't mean that he doesn't care because it wouldn't mean that if he wouldn't have allowed that ha- to happen to his son. And so then you consider the humility of God, that he was willing to walk out of heaven because he knew that's what it would take to save us. And if God was willing to do that to save us, if he was willing to lower himself in that way so that we could know him, the, the ramifications for us is that, then what is it, like, are, are, should there be things that we shouldn't be willing to do for him if he was willing to do all that for us? That, that if walking out of heaven wasn't beneath us, then we should be willing to do whatever it takes to serve him as well. That there was incredible humility present there as you consider the manger as you consider how God allowed his son to be born. But then you also have the person of Mary. Okay, and, and so you just kind of think about like her, I mean, her, I mean, she's an incredible character in this story, no doubt. But she has this message in Luke chapter one, where God tells her by an angel how great her son's going to be. And, and but here's what I can tell you. From Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 2, time had passed. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where maybe you felt like God spoke something to your heart. And, and then maybe it didn't happen like you thought or happen as quickly as you think. I mean, that's where Mary's at. And her son's born. And, and she's told that he's going to be all these great things, but there's not room for him in the end. So he's, he's born in this manger. Like, she's got to be at this place in her life where she's wondering, I wonder if this stuff was true. I want, I mean, I know God told me this, but why did this go this way? And so then what does God do? God, in his grace, he speaks to some shepherds. And shepherds go to Mary on the night that her son is born. And God, in his grace, uses them to confirm everything that he told them, or that he told her in Luke chapter 1. I mean, just... Like, that is, is such an, like, she doesn't know. But God shows her this grace in this way. And then look at how she responds. So you see this here as you look at chapter 17, or chapter, chapter 2, verse 17. The shepherds throw up, show up. And then in verse 19, it says, And Mary, she treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. That she, she got her confirmation, that she knew these things that God had said to her are going to be true and going to happen. And she chooses to just store them up in her heart. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you feel like God has, has told you something and it hasn't gone the way that you would want. But have you ever been, like, like that's, that's where Mary's at. I mean, Jesus, his ministry didn't start until he was 30. 
And here you have Mary in this moment, like with shepherds who she's never known before, confirming something that an angel told to her one chapter prior. And she just, I'm going to hold this in my heart, and I'm going to trust that God's word to me is going to be true. Maybe some of you are sitting there, and you're like, man, I feel like God told me this is something he wanted to do through me. I feel like God just, I feel like this is what God wants to do. I feel, and maybe you're there, and it hasn't happened yet. There's incredible wisdom in doing what Mary's doing here. It's saying, you know what? I'm not going to scream about it. I'm just going to trust that God's word to me is going to be true. It's a picture of humility. Because what humility says is, I'm not going to try to work this out on my own. I'm going to let God work this out for me. That's certainly what Mary was doing. So that's the first trait we see. So we see humility. And then the second trait that we see here, and it, it seems almost different, but it's not. They go hand in glove, is you see excitement. That you see humility and excitement. And you see that in the shepherds, okay? Now, when you think about the shepherds, like these are people who, a lot's been made of how low they are in society. They might not be as low as some people would say that they are, but here's what I can tell you. A shepherd isn't a governor. A shepherd isn't a king. That even if you think about Old Testament Jewish history, I mean, David was a shepherd, and he was a shepherd because his dad didn't like him. So, like, you kind of get a picture of how shepherds were viewed in society, in the Jewish culture, and yet God chooses to give his message to the shepherds. Okay, so kind of hold that there for a second. And then what some people will do is they're going to look at at, at the the gospel of Luke. People who don't believe in Jesus, and they're going to look at the gospel of Luke, and they're going to say, it's propaganda. Like, this isn't isn't a history, but it's made just that the, the first century people made this story to help advance the claims about Jesus to make them more like to create this mystery that is Jesus. And I would just say to the people who, who say that and think that, maybe even you're like skeptical of some of these claims. I, I would just say that if, if the Gospel of Luke isn't true and it's just propaganda, there are two very interesting things that Luke is doing here if this is propaganda. One, consider how Jesus was born. That if you were creating a story that was just trying to make someone seem really cool, you're probably going to find room for them in the inn. Like, the fact that the Son of God didn't have a place to be born, like, that doesn't actually add credibility to the story of the fa- if you consider the fact that he's the Son of God. Unless that's really what happened to him. And then the fact that this message comes to shepherds? Like, there would have been a better person to give the message to if you were just trying to create some type of propaganda to advance something that wasn't true. And so you have these guys who are shepherds, who are on the outs, who people don't consider to be that valuable. And God shows up and gives them the most important message that's ever been given. And here's what this shows us about God is whereas some of us, we, we, we look at externals, but God, he looks at the heart. That maybe for some of you, that's what you feel. Like you just feel constantly overlooked. Maybe your family's been talking about doing Christmas and they figured out a way to do it without you. And so you just feel very like excluded right now. That God 
He chose to speak to shepherds to give this incredible message that he takes the things that are lowly and he makes them valuable. And as the shepherds process that probably, and also probably the substance of the message, they have no choice but to just be really, really excited. And you see their excitement come in the fact that everywhere they go, they are talking about what they have been told. I mean, look at this. In verse 15, this is the angels. The angels show up. They give the shepherds the message the first time. And the shepherds respond. They say, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they get the, 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 the angel didn't tell them to go find Jesus. Like, you know, I'm so excited about what I've been told. I want to see this for myself. So then they go and they see this baby. And when they saw him, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So they're like, hey, you probably already know this about this baby, but let me, like, they, they were so excited. They couldn't stop talking about it. And then as they leave Mary's presence, it says they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So as I think about this, I really love the way that O Holy Night captures this moment. It says it this way. This is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And when I see that phrase, a weary world, gosh, I don't know. I mean, you can't quantify how weary the world is, but man, it feels like the world's pretty weary right now. I mean, it just seems like everybody is so tightly wound and easily offended and just looking for something to be mad about. That Even if you think about Christmas, like, if there's ever been a year where, like, just as a, as a culture, we've said, like, we need Christmas. Like, this is the year, is it not? Like, I just think about my, maybe, and maybe it's because the people I follow on social media are weird, but, like, I, I mean, this year, I saw so many people talk about how they put up their tree early. And it was like, oh, we just, we just need it this year. Christmas makes me happy, so... September 21st, we're going to go ahead and just throw that up. I mean, it, it, it's almost, like, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, so many people, that was part of the thing, because they, they, there's something about Christmas that brings this excitement, right? And I, I, there's a story in the news that there was a neighborhood that, in the middle of July, that they were like, they were just so tired of 2020. They're like, we're going we're gonna to have everyone in the neighborhood put up their Christmas lights in July just because we need some light and some hope. And so they, they, they did that, like, because this weary world, like, they needed something. Even locally, uh, one of the radio stations that I really like is uh, 106.7 The River. Um, thanks for not laughing at that, as a lot of people have. Um, but I, and they, this season, they, uh, they, they changed their name to 106.7 Santa FM, and their motto is if there's ever been a year we've needed Christmas to come early, it's this one. And, and you think about that. Like, there's a part of me that really loves that. Like, that 
man, we, we see the value and the hope that comes from the season. But I would say, while there's a part of me that loves it, I, there's another part of me that really hopes <laughs> that it's not just about the festivities, but there's more substance to it than that. Because as great as those things are, and I do think that they are great, I, I, I look forward to this week, I'm pumped about it, don't get me wrong. There comes a point where, man, you, you got to turn off the Christmas music. There comes a point where when you don't take the tree down, you're actually just being lazy, you're not celebrating anymore. And, and if the lights are up all year, eventually those lights are going to burn out. So, so, so the thing is, like, there's got to be more substance to that. And what O Holy Night does is it takes this thing that we're all so excited about, and it helps us see how we can use it to bring substance to this season. I like the way that it captures it here in the song. It says this. It says, sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. That this is how we are to respond. That this is the substance of the season where everything else comes flat Man, we can really make this mean something if we, can, if we can use the season to cause us to praise him forever. That's what the shepherds are doing. I mean, they are a picture of continual praise, that they are given this message of hope and they just can't stop talking about it. It's because they're excited, because they understand it. And as I think about them, I can't help but think about myself. I can't think about the message that's been given to me in the gospel. You could even argue that I have a better message than the shepherd. Sure, theirs came with the angels, but man, I actually know how the story ends. I actually know what Jesus came to do. I actually have a New Testament that helps me understand what Jesus came to do. And as I see them and as I consider their story, it makes me look at my own and ask, man, am I as excited about it? Is this why I'm excited? Can I not stop talking about it? Or is this just something where this, when the season passes, it'll be over? That is something for us all to consider as we, as we think about this song, as we think about this text. But what I find so interesting is how humility and excitement go together. And you have to humble yourself to experience the thrill of hope especially when it comes to the gospel. That for all of us, okay, for all of us, the, the journey with Jesus starts with us humbling ourselves. That we have to get to a place where we admit and we acknowledge that the problem is us, not something else. And for any person, like that takes humility. Man, what do we like to do? We like to blame everything else on our problems when the reality is that more often than not, we just need to look in the mirror. And what Jesus came to do was he came to, to deal with our sin problem, but we have to acknowledge that we have a sin problem if he's not going to deal with it. But the beauty of, of humbling ourselves is that once we do that, that when we truly humble ourselves before him, 
then a little seed of excitement grows within us. Because we realize how horrible we are. And that even though we are so horrible, he accepts us, that he loves us, and he came to save us. And if we can put all that together, then we will surely feel excitement. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you that that we can know you. God, that you give us cool little gifts like the song, O Holy Night, where we can experience your presence, where we can reflect on your story and we can consider how it's transformed our hearts. And so, God, we come to you this morning, and I just pray that you'd help each of us. God, that you'd help each of us to humble ourselves. That we would humble ourselves in a way that we would realize that we are the problem. That when it comes to the issue of our sin, that we're guilty. But that as guilty as we are, that Christ was born And he was born to save us from that. And so God, I pray, help us. Help us humble ourselves. And then I just pray, God, that that we would be excited. That we'd be excited at what comes as a result of us humbling ourselves before you, God. And so would you help us with that this Christmas? We thank you for all the festivities and all the fun. But I pray that the substance would carry us and continue to carry us in the years to come. We thank you for the night that you were born and all that it represents, God. It truly was a holy night. In Jesus' name.
Yes, give him some praise. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. And if you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.